What is the relationship between how the Church teaches the Catholic faith and how Catholics themselves proclaim the faith? Join us today as we examine the challenge of catechesis in the Church today and its importance for the new evangelization with Dr. Petrock Willey, Professor of Catechetics at Franciscan University and a major contributor to the book, The Pedagogy of God. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Welcome to Franciscan University Presents. I'm your host, Michael Hernan. Uh, today we'll be talking about catechesis and evangelization. And I'm joined here in our studios at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, by Father Sean Sheridan, President, as well as a Professor of Theology here at the University, um, and uh, Scott Hahn, who holds the Father Michael Scanlon Chair in Biblical Theology and the New Evangelization and our very special guest, Dr. Petrock Willing. Uh, Petrock, you have uh, degrees from uh, King's College in London in philosophy and theology um, at the Liverpool University. Uh, you have your STL from the Pontifical uh, University in, in Maynooth, uh, the Ecclesial Doctorate from the Lateran in Rome. You've been in higher ed for 25 years, uh, everywhere from uh, Platter College at Oxford to Maryvale in Birmingham to the School of the Annunciation and now you're here as a professor of catechetics and you're also a consultor uh, to the Pontifical Council for the promotion of the new evangelization in Rome. So, so someone of, of, of great substance but somebody who has been a, a great joy to have join the uh, staff here uh, as faculty at the university. So mm -hmm. it's a joy to welcome you. you to the program. No, thank you very much. So we're talking about a, probably one of the most important topics uh, really in our world today, uh, catechesis and evangelization. Mm -hmm. um, but I think people have an understanding of evangelization. But let's start with what, what is catechesis? What does that mean? Right. <coughs> I always think, funnily enough, it's a bit of a mystery. But, mm -hmm. uh, but catechesis is, um, is often just described as an education in the faith. Okay. Uh, so some people speak about a school of faith. Um, definitely it involves teaching as a major aspect of that. Um, but the word itself is a good way in because catechesis is such an unusual word um, and it really literally means echoing, echoing, which I think is such a, a mm. yes, it's such an interesting way to, to move into understanding it because if you're a catechist it means you're an echo. Hmm. Which, which immediately makes you realize that there is a voice somewhere else than yourself. Hmm. And this is such a need, I think, for, for everybody involved in catechesis. Not only it gives you the stability that the voice is somewhere, hmm. Hmm. Uh, and it, it also means the voice is speaking to you and you echo it. Uh, there's that lovely um, verse in Isaiah uh, where he says, you've given me the tongue of one who is taught. So, in a way, to be a catechist, to echo means, first of all, to be able to receive, okay. to be able to be taught by Christ, uh, to be able to be faithful to him. Um, and I think the other thing is, I mean, echoes, I've always wanted, now I'm in the States, I want to go to the Grand Canyon. Because yes, yes. I'd love to go there and see catechetically, well, how, what does it work? <laughs> you know, what's an echo like in the Grand Canyon? 
because it, it strikes me that the echoes work when you, you're in a kind of big cavernous space. Mm. So in a sense, why I like to begin there is not only because it ties you back to Christ straight away, it, may, it really holds you. Uh, it's both humbly but faithfully. You've got to find your own voice because you are, you are an echo. Okay. Uh, so it's very much a personal transmission. Yeah, yeah. But it's a transmission where you're learning from how Christ transmits yeah. to you first. And I know that so. there's this old ancient when they had large crowds that they would have people who would echo the message of the speaker right. around. Yes, and, exactly. And that kind of image. Yeah, sure. Uh, that's beautiful. That's yeah. beautiful. This also has a, yeah. a rabbinic pedigree, you know, because the rabbis would form disciples and the disciples would hear the teaching and right. echo that. It wasn't a need to be creative or original. Sure. It was really to be faithful. Sure. You know, and the understanding of the Word of God that the rabbis would yeah. have and share yeah. goes all the way back to creation where God speaks the Word and creation is the echo. Right. You know, it's almost as though the, yeah. the power of the Word is manifested in the whole universe. And yet, you know, when they would speak of hearing the word of the Lord and going from darkness to light, from error to truth, Jesus picks up on that because the word has now become flesh and dwelt among us. And so I'm thinking of John 5 where Jesus says, those who hear the voice of the Son of God mm -hmm. will pass from death to life. Right. It's one thing to pass from darkness to, to light, but when you hear the word that has been made flesh, you hear the voice of the Son of God. Mm -hmm. And so divine sonship now is not only the content, but the person-to-person -person dynamism. Mm -hmm. So that instead of just being a power, the word becomes a person and is transmitted person-to-person -person through this dynamic yeah. echo. Yeah. I love that image. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a very different yeah. example than a CCD class that some people might think yeah. of when they think of catechetics. Sure. You know, this is a very different description. I, I, yeah. I think one of the things that, um, as, as I hear you speak yeah. and, and, and identify yeah. the role of, the, of yeah. catechesis as echoing yeah. uh, the message of the Lord, yeah. I think there's still a component, however, that has to have that personal relationship with the Lord yeah. to be a proper echo sure. yeah. to go forward and transmit yeah. the faith. Yeah. However it is, yeah. you are handing on whatever God is telling you to speak. Yes. Well. Yeah. No, no, I really agree with you. And this is, it seems to me, it's one of the most interesting areas to, to investigate. Because on the one hand, you're not wanting to draw attention to yourself, particularly, yeah, sure. you know, you're, you're witnessing to Christ. And uh, I think it's, it's John Paul who says that we only catechize to the extent that Christ teaches in us. Mm -hmm. So it's really all of that. And yet Christ is not with no face at all. He has our face as we do it. So one of the, the things is, I think, to, to realize uh, you know, that, that Christ, who was the concrete universal in us since himself, uh, makes use of every single individual in their own way to echo. And you're quite right, I think, to help them, to help all catechists to find their voice, mm -hmm. their way of echoing, uh, which can only ever be born, as you, as you said, of that relationship. Yeah. Not that they Christ. change the message. No, they the don't message change it. is true. No. The truth that comes from God himself. Yeah. But it comes alive in the person. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I feel like we've, we've, we've said a lot that yeah. really touches on evangelization. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. so, so when we're talking about catechesis and evangelization, what's yeah. the distinction and what's yeah. the, how would you define or, or distinguish? Well, I mean, I've, I've had to come a long way on this because I was, uh, originally a Baptist. Mm. So my understanding of the word evangelization, mm. I think was, I now think is too small, mm. is the way I, in other words, I, I saw evangelization originally as that first moment where people made their commitment to Christ. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, so then catechesis would follow 
as the deepening. Gotcha. Uh, the church herself, it's almost the biggest word in her vocabulary. Mm -hmm. um, especially recently. Especially recently. Yeah. Especially recently. Um, it's, it's a wonderful way in which you really do feel the church continues to ponder on right. the meaning of a word. So um, it's been described as the, the handing on of the good news so that it permeates every single part of humanity and transforms us from within. That's the so that's Yeah, which that's is massive. <laughs> it's, which isn't it? It's, it's, it's everything in one sense. Well, you know, in this case, the word that yeah. is heard when the gospel is preached, that initial evangelization that brings about an initial conversion, that word is precisely what is echoed, but in the process it is expanded, it mm -hmm. is enlarged, it is deepened, yeah. <clears throat> so that when, when you move from evangelizing to catechizing, mm -hmm. the good news just gets better, yeah. and the conversion that begins gets deeper. Mm -hmm. You know, I like to think that evangelizing, catechizing, and then baptizing and sacramental is like courtship, engagement, and marriage. It really is an interpersonal bond. As you were pointing out, it's not just some kind of echo which is impersonal or a process. Yeah. It really is, you know, as Paul the Sixth says, you know, it's not just that we need teachers, what we need are mm -hmm. witnesses, right. and then teachers who are bearing witness, witness right. to the truth. Mm. And in a certain sense, reproducing themselves yeah. in others. That's yeah. what evangelizing is. So, so yeah. evangelization, I just want to make sure, yeah. so we, we define catechists, uh, you know, more yeah. than just simply teaching the faith. Sure. Uh, but then evangelization, we, you defined as bigger. Uh, yeah. So I just want to, you know, so, so where so does catechism, catechesis fit into that? Yeah. So, yes, let's, let's talk about this because this is, uh, this is crucial for both of them. I think that we really continue to try to understand that relationship. Um, but, I mean, Scott, you mentioned a kind of a family image, mm -hmm. you know, moving through courtship and marriage and so on as one way of looking at it. And, and another one, I quite like it because within it, the word evangelization is the word angel. So, angel means messenger. Mm. Uh, the messenger came to give the good news. So if we look at, say, the infancy narratives, this is going to use another family image, but I think maybe this is one way of trying to get the relationship. Um, so the angel to the shepherd, behold, I bring you good news, a child is born. Mm -hmm. So if we think about that as evangelization is the birth of the child, Christ. Then you've got, uh, you've got the angel at the beginning, the Annunciation. So giving that message, the good news again. So that's almost like the first moment. Mm -hmm. And then you've got uh, Mary's pregnancy coming to birth. And I, always, and I almost feel as though, so if we think about catechesis in this way, it's the protected space of the pregnancy. In other words, it's the point at which you ensure that everything is there for the, the healthy growth of the child. Mm. So you, it's comprehensive. It's, it's systematic. The, the child actually does develop by stages in growth. Um, and catechesis is there to protect its key. So it's like the womb of the church at this point, making sure Christ is healthy and brought to birth mm. in everybody's lives. So it's very much linked to that first message. But in fact, Paul, uh, John Paul speaks of it as the impregnation of the whole person, catechesis. Wow. Wow. So it's kind of got, it's another kind of linked image, really, mm -hmm. but to the, which I always think is great because catechesis is pro-life. You know, it's, it's yeah. where you, and what are you doing when you protect the faith? You're protecting the child. You're protecting the deposit, who is Christ himself. And mother church. And mother church. Yeah. So yeah. I think all of those images can be helpful for trying to understand the, the specific role. Gotcha. 
which is really making sure it's it's the maturing and growth stage mm -hmm. of the child. That also protects yeah. an aspect that is often missed or misunderstood. Yeah. That when you're catechizing, there is obviously an important intellectual yeah. component, yeah. but it's not merely academic. Mm -hmm. You know, it isn't less intellectual because it's ecclesial. It really is the womb of Mother Church mm -hmm. that yeah. enables us to get at the truth in its fullness, yeah. but not in some kind of abstract or neutral or merely scientific no. lab setting, you sure. know. No. Uh, no. No, I agree. But I think the way you, way you yeah. describe that gets back to the ultimate purpose for evangelization and catechesis itself. It's to foster, again, that relationship of each individual with the Lord yeah. and to continue to bring you back. Yeah. It, I think in one of the uh, articles that you've written that we had an opportunity to read, you said that you go forward, you don't read the doctrines, you read the Lord through yeah. those doctrines, sure. developing that relationship yeah, sure. with us yeah. through the doctrines, the teachings of the church. Yeah. And, it, and we come to learn and better understand who God is mm -hmm. by understanding what His teachings are. Yeah. So, so, so let's look at catechesis, um, you know, since the Second Vatican Council. Okay. What does that look like uh, in the world today? In the world today, well. Since, so, since the Second Vatican Council. Sure, yeah, yeah, sure. Well, as you, you know, the Second Vatican Council is often being called the Great Catechetical Council mm -hmm. because it was specifically for the sake of providing a new articulation of the faith for our times. Mm -hmm. It really had that purpose, pastoral catechetical, to, to see how we could do that. Uh, and so in a way it always remains, if you like, the beacon one, one goes back to and certainly the, the popes since then have looked back on it. Um, as far as I can see, one can, one can speak about uh, what happened immediately after the Council as, as two things really. One was kind of experimentation because what the Council brought up was the awareness of the gap between the Church and her culture and the cultures around. You know, we, we've, yeah. we're really facing into, in, in a sense, even more deeply the modernist crisis at that time. You know, really trying to see, well, Given that we don't want to betray the faith and we want to guard it, how, how does it really get communicated in this kind of world? And so there was a lot of experimentation. Um, there was also uh, a good deal of reaction immediately after the Council against what was seen to be inadequate ways of catechizing before. But, I mean, you just mentioned it's, we must remember it's an intellectual exercise as well, Scott. You know, and it's a spiritual exercise. Uh, there was a lot of throwing out the baby with the bathwater mm. at this point. Mm. So just staying with a kind of a human image, if we, if we know we need, you know, if we're going to eat a fish, it's, we eat the flesh and we don't, you know, get ourselves caught on the bones. But a fish needs bones. It needs structure. It needs these things. But I think there was a reaction against what was thought to be a kind of an arid, over-didactic focus on teaching without a sense mm. of partly because the teaching was going to people whose culture had already moved on. They were already somewhere else, so you can't teach somebody something if their mindset is somewhere else, because the, the teaching is going to be misunderstood. Mm. And so we know that a lot of went on was an attempt to, to adapt the message mm -hmm. uh, in order to try to meet the culture. And a lot of the problems arose out of the attempt to meet the culture, but in the wrong way at that point. Okay, okay. So it had some yeah. bumps in the road, yeah. if you will, yeah. in, in conflicting with the culture. Um, stay with us for the next segment as we go deeper into catechesis and the new evangelization. 
Stay with us on Franciscan University Presents. In parish ministry for many years, a lot of people tell me that they're comfortable being called catechists, but less so being called an evangelist. What's it mean to be an evangelist? I would turn it and say, what's it mean to be called an evangelizing catechist? And I would ask people who struggle with that or sort of wonder what that is to say, do you find real purpose in the truth and, and a love for the truth? Do you find that you desire the truth? Do you find joy in your faith? Do you find that you really find that it's something that causes you to be challenged and you love being challenged and to follow the faith in that way? Well, if those things are so, then you already are an evangelizing catechist because you teach with yourself. You say, I am this witness to my passion for the truth, my joy in the truth, my desire for more of it. And that makes you an evangelist as a catechist. People recognize Franciscan University as being academically excellent and passionately Catholic. We have the unique opportunity through our faculty members, through our students, to proclaim that academic excellence by reaching out in many different ways. We also remain passionately Catholic in the way in which we are able to worship, the way in which we are able to bring that love of Christ to others on a daily basis. It's important for us to be able to embrace both. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've been talking about catechesis and the new evangelization. Uh, one of the major contributors to this book, pe The Pedagogy of God, is Dr. Petrock Willey. Um, Petrock, at the, at the last sequence, uh, last segment, we talked a little bit, beginning of the, the kind of the, the crisis, if you will, that we've had in, in catechesis. So let's look a little bit more at that. You kind of talked about how it was sure. a conflict in the culture. Sure. The culture had already moved on. Yeah. Um, but when we look at the, the situation today, mm -hmm. um, has it improved? Have we, uh, you know, there's been challenges in the past. What does that mean today? What does it look like? What does it look like? And or how do we get here? Because I know. It, it might, <laughs> yes, I mean, one of the ways I think it might have moved on is that the diagnosis has deepened. Mm -hmm. um, because if you like, we talked about the way evangelization was the biggest word in the church. And as the, this, this term has emerged, the new evangelization. Mm -hmm. And in a way, that's so many things, but it's also a diagnosis. It's mm -hmm. almost as though from saying, let's, as a church, let's decide we're going to, to move out on mission now. Uh, it's, it's as though the church said, well, shall we then start by converting Catholics? You know, that was a kind of another step that needed to be taken, and in a way precisely because uh, the attempts at reconciliation, if you like, of culture and faith had been too, too shallow. Okay, okay. If, no, can I give you an yeah, analogy? Yeah, the analogy I use from my, uh, my father was a pickle salesman, right? But he, and he had to sell pickles internationally. Mm -hmm. His disadvantage was they were far better quality and more expensive than any rival pickles. So he always used to, to, to teach us as children what he used to say. He said, first of all, you have to completely believe in your pickle, right? You know, in life. But also, <laughs> you, you have to also um, go for a negative sell. Be happy with the negative cell because that's the truth. What do you mean by that? And what he meant by that was um, this, when he, so when he used to meet customers, he said, you would say to them, I don't think you're going to want the pickle I've got because it's more expensive than any other pickle. Very few people do, in fact, buy these. However, they are the best. Mm -hmm. you know, so you do the negative cell, people relax. Um, I've noticed in the introduction Pope Benedict wrote to UCAT, 
he really he does the negative sell. He's, he's a kind of a pickle salesman in this sense. <laughs> you know, he says I've this. I've never heard that about yeah, Pope Benedict. No, no. The, yes, he says this catechism was not written to please you. Yeah. In fact, it will make it will ruin your life. It will it will <laughs> it will completely change it. It mm-hmm. will ask everything. You know, but it's the pearl of great price. Sure. Yes. And I think probably there was a reluctance to say that sufficiently. It's right. not that the church didn't believe that, but the, in the anxiety to somehow meet the culture. You can sell Christ short, and we know that conversion is an onerous business, you know, in our own life. So we know that the movement of ourself and our culture to Christ will be fraught with with hazards and difficulties, and that's the journey we have to undertake. Yeah, looking back on on how we've we've seen some of the catechesis since Vatican II unfold um, makes me think of my own catechetical formation as a a young Catholic student, and uh, I was born I was a month old when Vatican II opened, and most of my religious formation growing up is a product of what you've described as some of that attempt to adapt to the culture, Mm. uh, to make the faith relevant somehow, but to an extent it went to the extreme where we lost some of the teaching of the truths of the faith, and the emphasis was on God loves you, does anything else really matter? Sure. Um, Sure. I'm okay, you're okay. Yeah, (laughs) and does that really form us as men and women of faith so that we in turn can pass on the faith sure. to the others. Yeah. I, I look since you know the catechism was published back in the 90s and the compendium mm-hmm. uh, to the catechism that's come out since mm-hmm. then, there's so much more available now to yeah. help us yes. to better understand a faith and pass that on to others compared to some of the religious instruction that we received back in the 70s and sure. even in the early 80s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and good men and women who mm-hmm. want to be those catechists out there passing on the faith today in our parishes, uh, unfortunately, we're often formed using those materials yeah. and are truly desiring to go deeper in their faith mm. so they can pass that on to the next sure. generation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. the, the crisis that came after Vatican II concluded in 1965 became so extreme. I mean, to call it a crisis is actually an English understatement. Mm. I mean, yeah, it, was, it was catastrophic. Mm. It was really the, the loss of faith was, when I go back and study the sources, I'm, yeah. I'm appalled. Sure. But in 85, when they had that extraordinary synod in Rome, and that's when the, the request was made mm-hmm. for a catechism of yeah. Vatican mm-hmm. II. And the point was obvious because the Council of Trent back in the 1500s was a response to the, a loss of faith mm-hmm. that coincided with the Reformation. Mm-hmm. But it was the catechism of the Council of Trent that really gave traction to mm-hmm. the teachings of the Council. Sure. And so when that call was made in 85 and then when the catechism came out in the early 90s, it was almost a, mirac- a, a miraculous event. I mean, because that catechism is, is, is in so many ways the unsung hero, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, is, it is the instrument of renewal. It's mm-hmm. scripturally saturated. Mm-hmm. It's, got, it's got the framework of the fathers and of Aquinas, but it's got scripture, it's got the liturgy, it's got that personalistic dynamism. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it was worse than anybody really could understand, and now it's potentially better Mm -hmm. than it was before the crisis hit. Sure, it really is. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. It really is, kind of Felix Culper. You know, God gives the gifts where they need it most. Mm -hmm. And what I always love about the Catechism, just just to, is is that it's not reactive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The fact that it really hasn't responded by by now reacting against those trends 
But I mean, love is the point of the whole thing. It's mm -hmm. not going to reject that. That was that was a sound instinct, you know. So, yeah. it's it's got <coughs> that sense of breadth and humanity, which is going to sustain the church's ongoing formation right. mm -hmm. for the next, hopefully, for the next four hundred years. Mm -hmm. So, so the, the reason I would say that I yeah. remained Catholic was yeah. my mother's prayers mm -hmm. uh, yeah. more than it was the catechism that I received in Catholic schools or in my parish. Mm -hmm. um, they they lost both on the head and the heart. They lost the content of the positive faith, mm -hmm. but also the spirit uh, that was supposed to be imbued within that teaching. Right. Sure. Um, and, and as we look forward, um, you're talking about something very different here with mm -hmm. catechesis. You're sure. talking about the pedagogy of God. Yeah, mm -hmm. sure. Um, and so, what you know, you're a major contributor in this book. Yeah. What is the pedagogy of God? Not the book, but <laughs> what, sure. what do we mean by the pedagogy? Sure. So it's a very ancient phrase. Mm -hmm. it goes right back uh, to the scriptures. It's used by the fathers, and it, it's part of the renewal. I think it's the rediscovery because there were catechetical schools as well in the in the early church. There were these schools of faith very much aware of the fact that there is a there must be a very distinctive way of handing on the Christian faith compared to other areas of and disciplines because the subject matter is unique it's God himself mm -hmm. yeah. so once you start thinking how are we going to be involved in handing on the work of God himself it's natural in a way to look at well how did he hand on mm -hmm. his own work okay. so and what the scriptures and the whole, the history of the church reveal is, is the awareness that God hands him, himself on as he teaches. Mm -hmm. yeah. you so, know, so it's really, it's that. So, it's, it's, so the teaching meaning, you know, pedagogy yeah. meaning teaching and the passing on, yeah. but, but doing it in a very different way, knowing that this isn't just sure. a, a science lesson that no. we're passing no, on. No, this is, this is God's own way of handing on the faith. But it's which not just a little different, it's yeah. a lot different. Yeah. You know, yeah. the, the, the notion of pedagogy can easily be reduced to something that it sounds esoteric mm -hmm. or sort of professional. Yes. You know, so that when you're studying things pedagogical, it's content curriculum and that's yes. not much more. But the fact is, as you're indicating, you know, you go back to the scriptures and Paul uses the term pedagogos in Galatians. Mm. And he uses that with reference to uh, a kind of tutorial figure who is put by the father over a child before he's really come of age. Mm. And Paul uses that to describe how in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments in particular, but also the Mosaic Covenant, had that sort of pedagogical function to bring discipline and to also the threat of punishment. Mm. Sort of the way I fathered my teenage boys, you know? <laughs> yeah. There's a pedagogy there. But even the term paideia mm. is also of ancient vintage because you can see that not only in ancient Israel, but in Greco-Roman culture, the notion of paideia was a kind of formation in virtue as well as knowledge. Mm -hmm. And in fact, paideia was sort of the ideal so that when you went through that, you were really, you know, a, a veer. You were a man, uh, a man of understanding, a man of wisdom, but also a man of virtue. And mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, you point out in your essay that Augustine picks up on this notion of paideia, that it's almost interchangeable with doctrine. Yeah. That was startling when yeah. I read yeah. that sure. in the footnote. Yeah. Paideia and doctrina yeah, sure. are interchangeable sure. precisely because doctrine is not merely propositional. Yeah. It is, yeah. but like just as I have a skeleton structure to, yeah. to stand, sure. I'm a lot more than my bones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So doctrine is essential, but as the Catechism says, our faith doesn't terminate in doctrine, mm. but in the realities that those doctrinal formulations communicate, sure. which are always personal, interpersonal, yeah. sure. and familial. And you know, suddenly pedagogy is charged yeah. with a kind of, not mm. only a dynamism 
that is just exciting, but deep. Yeah. You know, so often people who are dynamic are shallow and the people who are profound are just mm -hmm. sort of boring, you know. Yeah, but the sure. pedagogy of God brings together both the, the, the dynamic and the profound in a way that I think just mm -hmm. it transforms people when they really sure. internalize it. Sure. Mm -hmm. No, no, I'm just saying it really does help you to see that alongside teachers, because the, one of the roles of the pedagogue yeah. was precisely to get the, the child to school to be mm -hmm. taught. Mm -hmm. right. So alongside the teacher must be this other function, which, mm -hmm. is, which is the growth of the child in virtue and in receptivity to what's being taught. Yeah. So it's a more holistic model to say pedagogy of God and to locate catechesis and teaching within that. Yes. I think make sure that you're, you're not attending only to the teaching function. Because mm -hmm. as teachers, we, we kind of make sure that what we're saying is okay. We, we spend a lot of time on our own presentations, but you, you mustn't forget what's going on on the other side, what's happening to the formation of the other. And, uh, what, and what you're proposing, yeah. that's what God right. did. That's what, yeah, in, in a sense, you see, God is, Christ was, there was an ancient um, work by Clement, Christ the Pedagogue. Uh, and so you, you definitely had all of this understanding because he was associated with the ancient Alexandrian school of catechesis. So mm. Christ is like a pedagogue and we know he's, he became a slave. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, and it was the role of the slave to bring up the child. So it's a kind of a beautiful image of the humility mm. of Christ who mm. puts himself at our service mm. and helps us to grow in the faith he wants to teach us. Because he's both teacher and pedagogue. Yeah, you know, he's right. a, Christ is everything. So actually, when you think yeah. about it, it, it really sums up the whole purpose of Catholic education, distinct yeah. from going to a state university yeah. or going to anything that's not particularly focused yeah. on the develop of the human person. Yeah. You have the teachings that are going to be handed on, which you can learn anywhere. Yeah. But you have the teacher who is that pedagogue, who is walking along in faith yeah. with the person they're teaching, bringing sure. about their yeah. full development of their capacity as a human person mm -hmm. and to become that person that God created them to be. Yeah. yeah. You know, I went to a small college and we are a small university here mm -hmm. at Franciscan. And in some ways there are limits, but in other ways we're more unlimited because mm -hmm. you know, we don't sure. just have classes with 300 students with mm -hmm. teaching assistants so that mm -hmm. you're never really accessing mm -hmm. the yeah. professor. There's a spiritual parenting, a fathering and yeah. a mothering that mm -hmm. takes place. Mentoring. When catechism, yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I think back to my professors in college mm -hmm. and the effect that they had on me, not only intellectually, but personally and spiritually. Mm -hmm. It was more than both of my parents put together. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know? And that's the privilege that we have in a classroom where we really can allow the truths to penetrate our students, but to let them see how that yeah. affects us too. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's profound in thinking yeah. about just, again, my experience yeah. here as an alum yeah. of the university, yeah. but it probably similar in other situations where you have someone who understands what pedagogy really is, that it isn't yeah. just passing on of yeah. content, no. but it's the whole person. It's receiving yeah. who they are yeah. and communicating in mm -hmm. such a way that you're, again, going back to the first description, you're echoing what Christ yeah. has said sure. to you, mm -hmm. echoing Christ out to them. Yeah. That's really what catechesis is, and yeah, that is the is. pedagogy. He has used that in the Old Testament, in the New, and your, you, in your essays, you point out some great uh, ways that Christ and, and God throughout his, our his salvation history mm. has really taught us. And we need to learn yeah. how He is taught yeah, and to really sure. bring that in. Yeah. I mean, that's profound. And I, that distinction actually goes back to the comment you've already made, echoing from Evangelii Nuntiandi, what Paul VI said. Right. We need teachers, yeah. but we need witnesses even more. Because right. if we're going to believe teachers, it's because they are witnesses. It's that additional component yeah. that's on top of just passing on those truths. Yeah. You have to live it yeah. by word and example. Yeah. Excellent, excellent point. Uh, stay with us for the next segment of Franciscan University Presents.
All right, let's take the pedagogy of God and bring it to a place where we can say, what's that mean for me as an ordinary human being, an ordinary catechist in the parish? And I would say this, think about how God does teach in the Bible, and it's, it's something you can look at yourself at any time and say, okay, how does God the Father teach in the Old Testament? He, he does give rules and things like that, but it's not mostly in the form of a list, or, or it's in the form of stories. The Bible is a giant story, and so teach through stories. If you look at Christ, you could say, what would it have been like to be present to him? He taught through stories, didn't he? He was a narrative catechist. He was someone that taught with his witness, his challenge. He was someone that taught to be encountering others always, not just talking to the big crowds. I am a communication arts major, the president of Film Club, and an editor for Franciscan University Presents. It's really great to be able to work on Franciscan University Presents because it is a national television show on EWTN, and in a lot of other schools you're not going to have that kind of ability to put that on a resume. When I graduate, I know that I'm going to, to be firm in sticking with my faith and you know going to daily mass and a free confession and things like that. Because instead of just learning with my mind or just focusing on schoolwork, I, I actually you know can grow with my whole person. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. This entire program springs forth from the very heart of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Uh, we're taping the show right now in our communication arts studio here on the campus at Franciscan University. Our students are operating the cameras and equipment. Our, our, actually, our guests and our panelists today are professors uh, here at Franciscan University. Uh, Petrock, so we've been talking about uh, catechesis and evangelization. We've been talking about the pedagogy of God, how God himself has given us a great model uh, and the, the power to mm -hmm. teach and, and pass on the faith. Um, but now, again, let's, let's go a little deeper into the challenges. We're, what are some of the biggest challenges we're facing today in catechesis? Sure. Well, just thinking back about, we mentioned in the last segment, this whole idea of the negative cell. Yes. Let's think about challenges as, in, as opportunities, you know, as the way God responds, because um, I think uh, Scott spoke about the value of the catechism. It's a bit like uh, if you want to plant an oak tree, you plant it in winter. Because the thing about that, then the roots go deep mm -hmm. and you have a stronger trunk. Okay. And I think one of the things we've been saying is the church is learning not to be afraid of the demands of Christ. Uh, and that the growth areas in the church are precisely where we're straightforward, honest, but we, we actually allow Christ to be out there with the whole of his saving message. And it is a message of hope, and, and for a lot of people who were frightened that the saving message of Christ couldn't be handled by the world, it's precisely, it's the world created by Christ to receive him. So everything in a way that Vatican II began to really show us the seeds of the word are in the world, ready to receive Christ, it's all correct. You know, catechesis can be encouraged, and if, in our work of evangelization, we can be encouraged that the challenges are only there because of the fact of our need for redemption. But once we face into it, and the church is facing into it with this diagnosis of new evangelization, hope, hope returns. And the, the way in which people uh, go into hopelessness mode is when you won't face what needs to be faced. So you're, you're, so you're saying the challenges the are there for our purpose, yeah, for our salvation. They are just what the reality is, mm. really. And I think the church is just being herself and, uh, and living with this. You know, the, the, in the ancient church, the fathers would speak of divine accommodation, sun catabasis, yeah. and how God would accommodate himself to us in our weakness. And I think that's 
that's uh, something that we can misunderstand. After yeah. Vatican II, in the late 60s, I think the church felt as though it had to accommodate itself mm -hmm. yeah. to the culture, which translated practically in terms of compromise. Yeah. Uh, or watering things down, yeah. or just simply using the ways of the world to communicate the ways of Christ. Mm. And I think what you've pointed out, I mean, what you said about your dad and the pickles mm. and mm. the negative cell, my brain is still exploding. <laughs> I mean, it really, because so often accommodation needs to employ that kind of strategy, which goes beyond reverse psychology. Yeah. It really is an echo of what Jesus is constantly telling the disciples, which makes you wonder, why didn't they abandon him like everybody else? Sure. You know, you've got to take up your cross daily, yeah. unless, you're, unless yeah. you humble yourself and become like a child. But it seems to me that this is really what is needed today as much as it was in antiquity because when the fathers spoke of accommodation, they weren't compromising the gospel. Yeah. You know, Rodney Stark, who started off as an agnostic when he wrote that book, The Rise of Christianity, where he was just marveling as a, as a historian and a sociologist of religion, look at how the Christian faith spread. It exploded. It just, in, in the first 400 years, it grew in a way that no other religion ever did. And why? It wasn't violence, it wasn't the sword. Mm. Later on, he, he updated this study and pointed out that even today, you know, imitating the, the, the evangelization of the early church, when you're more demanding, mm. you'd think, well, people are gonna leave. But there's a certain sense in which, however counterintuitive it is, the more demanding uh, the faith is in this life, mm. the more people are going to be drawn to it, yeah, sure. you know, and invest themselves in it sure. deeply. Whereas the religious organizations that Stark has studied that compromise and accommodate in that downward way right. are just losing members for decades. Why join? Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, we see that phenomenon in religious life today. Yes. The, the young men and women who are joining religious communities want to have that truth, want to have that substance. Sure to lay down their lives yeah. for the faith uh, yeah. and to be able to, to do the things that God asks of them. Why just go do some, something that doesn't really matter in life? Yeah. You, yeah. Our, our young men and women want to make a difference. Yeah, yeah when they're looking at lukewarm uh, communities, right. Right, exactly. they're, not, they're not growing, mm -hmm. those yeah. that are left, but those who are wearing habits or are out taking vows of poverty. Well, I'm like glad yourself. you said it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, that's, that's where growth is, when they're, they're serious about sure. that. But it brings back, in, in my mind, following what Scott was just saying, is. Yeah. Watering down the faith is not being pastoral. No. Pastoral, in my mind, is being able to communicate the truths of the faith in a charitable way, truth sure. in charity. Sure. You, don't, you don't dismiss what we stand for as Roman Catholics. You don't yeah. dismiss what we stand for as followers of Christ. You present the teachings of the church in a way that they're going to be heard and embraced mm -hmm. by everybody who hears them yeah. and not just dismissing them out of hand. Sure. No. And especially when the content of the truth itself is love, mm -hmm. but a love that is uncompromising, yeah. a love that is quite demanding. And you, you discover that the inner logic of love is self-donation. That's mm -hmm. right. You know, and you can't do that without self-possession and self-denial and all the rest. Right. I think but, a lot of people had experienced the church possibly before making the demands, but being more at a distance mm -hmm. from them. Right. And maybe this is where the pedagogy of God and everything comes back in and what the church has called the catechumenal model, which is mm -hmm. making sure the catechesis is always united to liturgy, which gives grace, and to pastoral. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because uh, God himself comes alongside us, so it's not as though we see in Christ. It's not as though he says, okay, this is the teaching, you know, you laid heavy burdens upon but didn't lift a finger yourself. Mm -hmm. Christ himself carries the cross. Mm -hmm. And I, I know for myself that 
becoming a Catholic was it was so important for myself that strong teaching on the union we have with Christ. Mm -hmm. So he's not just an example, he's not just a teacher, he, he is the living Savior who, who holds you at all times. Yeah. And I think as long as that really, and the church holds us, as she leads us mm -hmm. through the demands, uh, and the pedagogy of God is said to be in stages, progressively with steps, so she accompanies us through it, not, not deviating, not lessening the demands, but moving with us. I think that's the model which, which holds catechesis and allows us to teach strongly. As the pastoral gets stronger, mm -hmm. the liturgical gets stronger, the catechetical can be stronger. Mm -hmm. so, so how would, on a, on a kind of practical yeah. level, looking yeah. at the pedagogy, the idea sure. of the pedagogy of God be incarnate in a mm -hmm. parish? You know, like we're looking at a parish, people always want to renew their parishes, be sure. involved. What would that look like in a, in a parish setting, uh, making that a lot? Yes. So there's a few things the church says. Well, first is there is no single model, mm -hmm. okay. we, which we have to say in a way, because I think it's quite important not to hold up one, uh, but, but that every, we should measure everything against the pedagogy of God. That's what the general directory says. So you've got your measuring point now. Now let's see what you want to do with it, because we've talked a lot about family images and the the key catechists and teachers are parents. Mm -hmm. Amen. Absolutely. And yet, if you look at a group who feel most ill-equipped to do anything about That's understanding right. the faith, handing it on to others, it will be the parents That's right. themselves. So, um, I think a model would have to be uh, engaging them as the prime approach. Mm -hmm. So in other the words, prime the prime catechist, in other words, although we're looking for, and this is at the university, we are professionalizing in a way, catechesis, we are trying to produce really well-rounded, well-formed expert catechists. Mm -hmm. This is not so that they can lord it over parents, it's precisely so that they can help equip parents. Mm -hmm. So I'd say that's the number one is the message to parents must be you are invaluable mm -hmm. and that God in the sacraments of matrimony gives you all the graces you need to be the first witnesses and first teachers. Mm -hmm. um, and I think to be an encouragement and practically to help to form those parents, okay. to, not, to not give up on that as the prime task of the parish. That's huge. Yeah, it is huge, I think. You it's know, a big undertaking, but yeah. it's also right at the heart of the yeah. issue. Mm -hmm. When yeah. teachers understand their role as being in loco parentis, yeah. you know, in the place yeah. of parents, it isn't just replacing parents, it's really kind of an extension. Yeah. You know, I think about my mom and my dad and all that they did and sacrificed for me, and then how my youth pastor and how, you know, my college professors just continued that in a way that my parents frankly couldn't have done, yeah. but they were so grateful. Yeah. And as I think about, you know, what, a, what an amazing lab we have at Franciscan, you know, it's not just the classrooms, it's especially uh, the mass, mm -hmm. where you know, 60 plus percent of the students go, and you can tell when they come to the class, like they've been the mass, you know, yeah. they've they've found Christ the teacher, and you can relax because then it's not all up to you. But then they go back to the dorms and they have households, yeah. you know, and they also play sports. And I think of, you know, what a parish ought to be is sort of like that. It ought to have the mass at the center, mm -hmm. but it also ought to have a school of faith. It ought to have class, yes. mm -hmm. but it also ought to have sports in the sense of a contest mm -hmm. where you're really competing against the world and you're showing them that this is a noble and heroic struggle and we've already won, That's but right. we have to, you know, mm -hmm. get that kind of confidence reinvigorated 
And I think it also involves this, this notion of household, mm -hmm. that we've got to feel at home. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the students who have households here, I know from my own kids who've come here, they have this brotherhood or the sisterhood mm -hmm. that just makes it so that it feels like an extension of the family. Mm -hmm. uh, more home mm -hmm. than you go back and you see your sure. younger siblings sometimes, you yeah, know. Sure. Yeah. And I think a parish mm -hmm. could really replicate that sort of thing in a way that could be supernatural. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. powerful. Yeah, I think the analogy to households is very appropriate um, because when Father Michael started households 40-some years ago, he was trying to address issues of isolation and separation yeah. from, of the students uh, who were here at Franciscan University to bring them together yeah. as men or women of faith, depending on where they lived, in the residence halls. But more and more we see our parishes becoming large large parishes mm -hmm. where people don't always even know who they're standing next to when they're worshiping at Sunday Mass together. Mm -hmm. uh, to bring the family together mm -hmm. uh, in some way, to be able to share the faith together, to walk that journey together is a very important concept of how we can approach mm -hmm. uh, continuing to be enlivened in lively mm -hmm. uh, faith-based parishes. You know? yeah. That's a great model. I mean, you know, because if you think about it, I know I've experienced that and mm -hmm. I've just seen the Mass being at the center. I've seen in the classroom, I've seen in the households, it has formed me. It has, it has, you know, done what my my parents were ill-equipped to do. You know, but we need to equip those parents. We need to send them out. That's a great way to yeah. to really uh, put that. So, it, although there isn't any one model, mm -hmm. yeah, are there sure. other models? I mean, Franciscan University is a model, I sure, believe, uh, sure. for that. Are there other models that have been? you know, in line with the pedagogy of God. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, the church talks about this role of apprenticing as well. Yes, it talks yeah. about, and I do think, so that is one of the things we really have at the university strongly. That's mm -hmm. what's available in the family home. Mm -hmm. It's not, again, I think probably our understanding of family can get too small because it's precisely in extended family or in groups of families that you really find that support you need mm -hmm. as well. But within that, I think to look at where is the apprenticing going on, which involves both the formation, well, it involves the formation of the mind as a major part, because we have to actually be able to have the confidence to relate to the world and not to be embarrassed as though we couldn't intellectually handle right. the challenges of contemporary culture. So that's obviously key to it, and that's why universities are so important and so on and schools. Uh, but at the same time, who are the apprenticing models we've got and who are we apprenticing is probably an important question mm -hmm. and parishes could could ask people and members of the parish to ask that of themselves mm -hmm. so where are you being apprenticed in the faith in that in that broader sense uh, and who have you taken some responsibility for mm -hmm. to be apprenticing yeah. as well yeah. for handing on in that broader sense we, we don't have that that uh, present in many churches yeah. where there is, I mean, there are instances of that, but as a, as a whole, I don't, yeah. right? I mean, would you agree sure. <laughs> that that's not really uh, prolific? I think it's beginning. I think it's, it's really renewing maybe. Uh, you know, yeah. the prophet yeah. Haggai yeah. points out that we shouldn't despise the day of humble beginnings. Yeah. I think we're still at that stage. Mm -hmm. You know, we often tend to compare ourselves to the high Middle Ages where you have medieval Christendom, mm -hmm. you know, such a profoundly Catholic culture. But as my son has been showing me, he's finishing a doctorate at Notre Dame, that, that really what you're looking at the 13th century is, is incomprehensible about 
apart from what's happening in the ninth century, the Carolingian renewal, where schools of faith, cathedral schools by the dozens, you know, it didn't just start off as the University of Paris or the Abbey of Cluny. I mean, these profoundly Catholic institutions that transform culture started as little acorns, you know, Mm -hmm. lots and lots of them. Not all of them became gigantic oaks, but you know, and that's why I think if we can do this in the parish and in every home, mm-hmm. we're really gonna stand back and watch our Lord make it fruitful. Amen, amen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you won't wanna miss the, the final segment of this show on catech- catechesis and the new evangelization. Stay with us on Franciscan University Presents. As someone who's been in parish ministry for quite a while, um, these are hard questions of uh, whether or not we're doing what we should be doing. Sometimes they can be very hard questions, and I would suggest this as a question. If the type of people we need to get to are the parents of children that are right now young children in our schools and in our programs, are our adult formation programs really having them in those programs? Or are those programs having other people come, but not that main core that is the parish's duty to reach out to? Are we really spending our money, our time, and our effort and seeing the result to get to those people above all? Welcome to the final segment of Franciscan University Presents where we've been talking to Petrock Willie about uh, catechesis and the new evangelization. Father, could you start us off? Sure. Uh, This is where thinking and talking today about all these issues that are going on and the need for catechesis, proper catechesis and evangelization in the church and in the world. Um, A couple things come to my mind uh, on how we need to continue to emphasize the importance uh, of both components, both catechesis and evangelization, but also recognizing that there's probably a lot of people out there who feel Mm. ill-equipped to be able to engage Mm. in the dialogue. Um, And I, I think when we step back and think about, you know, we've talked about parents being the primary educators of their children in the faith, but looking also to the professionals, the catechists, and, and the men and women who are uh, embraced uh, as uh, religious or the priests we have in the church, helping to do that, cooperating with parents and fulfilling those obligations. I think all of us need to step back and really reflect upon the need for conversion in our own lives. Mm-hmm to step back and really emphasize how we need to turn our lives over to the Lord each and every day. So that with developing that relationship with Christ, we know that the more we immerse ourselves in that relationship, He will give us the words to say when those opportunities arise. So that even though we may feel ill-equipped, in it, but if we immerse ourselves in prayer, if we immerse ourselves in the catechism, to all of the other wonderful tools the church gives us today, we will be able to, to be good men and women of faith to hand on those teachings uh, to whoever we encounter. Mm-hmm. Very good, mm-hmm. very good. Scott? Yeah. I like the way you situate the task of catechesis in the context of the new evangelization. Uh, this book, The Pedagogy of God, has essays by various people, but three essays by you. Mm-hmm. And they, are, they constitute a masterpiece. And in preparing for this, show, I went back through them and I was just doubly grateful and proud that Emmaus Road got to publish this book, (laughs) The Pedagogy of God. But not just because of the quality, but because of the transformative potential. Uh, The new evangelization is ecclesiastical jargon still for many people. It's like whatever that means. Well, it means something very concrete and important. You know, evangelizing 
catechizing and then sacramentalizing is how we see conversion take place. But evangelizing could be emotions, you know. Catechesis could just be instruction, you know. Sacraments can be ritual. But when you coordinate this, you can really see how conversion is ongoing, it's ever deepening. And as you just said, Father Sean, the need to allow ourselves to be re-evangelized, you know. Uh, Spurgeon once said that if you want to attract a crowd, set yourself on fire, <laughs> you know. And I think that's what the call is today. You know, people are going to say, I don't want to burn. You know, that's fine. No, the negative sell. <laughs> but if you do, nothing will ignite your life like the gospel. And nothing captures the heart of the gospel like the Catholic faith. I mean, there is the good news on steroids. I mean, it's just almost too good to be true, except it is all true, and it's a, the truth of love. And it's something that every family could be transformed by, every university if they allowed themselves, you know. But also, and I think most especially so, every parish. I mean, this is the kind of thing that could encourage not only the pastors and the parents, but the professionals as well. It, 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 when they read it, when they hear it, they say, this is what I signed up for. I forgot about that. Mm -hmm. I want to get back to the original task that got me excited years ago. Mm -hmm. So thanks not only for writing it, but also for living it here with our students as well. It's a real joy to be a co-worker alongside of you. Mm -hmm. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you. you for Patrick. Well, no, it's been, it's been wonderful just to have this opportunity just to speak about this. Um, John Paul said that if catechesis is done well, everything else is easier to do. Mm -hmm. I've always been struck, struck by that, um, that how significant it is for the life of the church. And I always think of it, my, my own background was, uh, was from Cornwall, mm. and they were great miners. And one of the things about the miners, they took down a canary with them. <laughs> and so, you know, for every 10 miners there was a canary, and if the canary passed out, then, uh, then there was time to go. <laughs> and I always think catechesis is like the canary, really, because if something is going wrong in catechesis, it's that that's what that's what you've got to mend because it's the communication of the faith it's either something we've got to really look at in terms of the content or in terms of the pedagogy overall and i'm so excited and just so grateful to be living at a time the church has given us the gifts she has i mean what a what a time to be alive mm -hmm. when we have uh, this incredible renewal which as i say second vatican council began it's had its ups and downs but What's come out of all that is God has graced his church with things like the catechism, with, to be honest, a, a university like this, uh, with an understanding of spirituality and reconnecting the spiritual journey with catechesis is one of the big finds, I think. And everything you've said about uh, the importance of being a witness as well as a teacher, all of these things really ground catechesis now and, and bring it alive in the way you've said. Mm -hmm. So it's been great being with you. Yeah, thank well, you. thank you. Thank you, Petra. If you've enjoyed today's program uh, on the pedagogy of God, catechesis, and the new evangelization, uh, we have a free handout at faithandreason.com or just for asking. It's an Our Sunday Visitor article uh, by Emily Stimson on the, uh, the divine pedagogy. It is a great, it goes a little uh, from very different authors uh, to go deeper in this or you can pick up on your own the book that uh, Petrock and others contributed to. Um, to. To really look at what we're called to do, uh, it really does begin with that encounter, as Father said. And I, if, if you haven't been invited, if you feel like your life is, is not being transformed by Christ, then maybe you haven't fully encountered Christ. And I just want to invite you at this moment, at this time in your life,
to invite him in, to ask uh, and to expect that he will show up because he is the truth that will set you free. And your life needs to be transformed. As, as Scott said, it needs to be a life on fire for the love of Christ because if you don't realize that that is what this all is about, our, the gospel is about setting us free to embrace the full life that God has for us. So if you have that, then you're going to want to share it. You're going to be that pickle salesman who's going to know you're going to have the best product in the world that's going to save um, all the lost and bring them to freedom and new life. So first, having that encounter, being transformed. But second, remember, we by our baptism have been commissioned. Whether you're a parent, whether you're a pastor, whether you're, you're a professional, as, as Scott said, you are commissioned. You're being commissioned right now. If you haven't been, if your pastor hasn't told you recently, you're being called by Christ to go out. This world is in desperate need of you. So take this message and bring it to your friends, bring it to your family, and go out. Uh, the, 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 the witness and the teaching is the head and the heart that needs to be shared with this world. Um, and it's not something scary. As, as Chesterton said, if it's, if, it's, um, if it's something worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Don't wait to be perfect in your evangelization or catechesis. Go and begin sharing the gospel today that, that has transformed you. And I think the, um, uh, the real heart of the matter is family. So begin by the people that God has put you in relationship with. Begin by the family, the mother, the father, the, the children, the grandchildren, the whoever that God has given you. Uh, and start there because all of this is meant to bring our families, to be that, that, that patriarch if you're a dad, to be that, that matriarch as a mom or grandmother or grandfather or brother or sister, to join them and to bring them into the faith in a powerful new way. Um, this whole program is really fulfilling the mission of Franciscan University and trying to form and evangelize and educate and send forth joyful disciples. And I want to invite you to be a part of that mission to come and be uh, here on campus and taking one of our classes, or to be uh, at our, one of our summer conferences or our pilgrimages around the world, uh, or to go to faithandreason.com, to be immersed in the truth, the truth that will set you free, and it will be a toolkit for you uh, in the new evangelization to spread that gospel. So join us here in the mission of Franciscan University and spreading the gospel throughout the world. Father, would you be uh, able to close us with yeah, a blessing? May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. 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 To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381. Or call 740-283-6357.